Hello, and welcome to the DFS Coach Talk podcast. I am your host, Mike Apatria, uh, joined by the one and only Shane, uh, the masterful Caldwell. I'm going to have to start coming up with new uh, new nicknames every single show, man, because uh, when, I, when I see the name on the schedule, I get excited. I know I'm getting a wealth of football knowledge from you, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be joined by you, man. So it's Mother's Day. It's May 10th on this beautiful Sunday. Uh, but how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man. Yeah, excited. Happy Mother's Day to all the uh, mothers out there. And uh, we're excited as we uh, keep our uh, football preview, our team DFS previews. We're in the NFC North, uh, which is a division I know quite a bit about, and uh, as as you do as well. And we're with the Minnesota Vikings today. Uh, So that's a a very exciting team uh, to preview for DFS. So, yeah, we're, we're ready to get into it. Oh, yeah, we're going to jump right into it. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I know that we ran pretty long on yesterday's show, so we're going to try to con- give you guys the condensed version more often than not. Uh, it's Me and Santino will take all the fault on that one. Um, I don't shut up. He doesn't shut up. And he put us together sometimes, and that happens, man. So, uh, you know, take our apologies sincerely. But we're going we're gonna to jump right into this, man. So we're going to just – I'm going to pass it off to you. Uh, I know you have a lot to get to. We, we're going to talk about a little bit of some of the offseason changes, some of the things, you know, how they – I, we're going to get to a lot of our draft talk at the end, but how they've kind of, uh, you know, replaced some of these offseason players that they lost, some coaching changes. But uh, let's jump right into it, man. Yeah, no, no need to apologize. You, you and Santino are doing an excellent job. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to keep it moving here. We're going to get the get the people the information and uh, keep it entertaining as well. Uh, yeah, so Minnesota Vikings 2019 uh, had a great season. Um, they really dominated in the run game. They were 10-6 and six overall second in the NFC North, only to the Packers, uh, and they won the wild card. They went into the playoffs and won the wild card at the Saints, and they were underdog there. So that was a huge win for them. Uh, and then they end up getting uh, getting beat pretty bad by the 49ers uh, by the time they traveled out there to uh, in the divisional round in a, a rested 49ers team that was pretty dominant, obviously, Super Bowl team was there uh, waiting for them, and they, they lost pretty bad in that game. But it was still a really successful season to go 10-6 and six and win a, win a playoff game. Uh, they had uh, eight Pro Bowlers last year, so obviously a ton of talent on that team. Uh, one of the things we'll talk about is how the team changed a lot. We'll talk about that in a minute, and that's how it is in the NFL. Like we say, it's, it's a year-by-year league, uh, so you can't necessarily take all the data from 2019 and translate it. You have to look at what the makeup of the team is because it changes a lot in the NFL, right? Uh, So let's just go over the offensive stats real quick here. 2019 offensive stats, total yards, 5,656 yards. It's going to put them for 16th uh, in the league. So they're kind of in the middle of the road there. They were ranked 23rd in passing at 3,523 team yards. So they were kind of uh, down the lower tier there because they didn't have a lot of volume. But this is where they excelled. They were sixth in rushing at 2,133 yards. So they were dominant in the running game. That's what they wanted to do. They combined that with the dominant defense. One of the other things that allowed them to win so many games and be so dominant was the turnover uh, ratio differential. The turnover differential, they were fourth in the league at plus 11. Uh, the defense, again, was dominant, had 17 interceptions, 14 fumble recoveries. So this was a playmaking defense that was just nasty all around. They can they could rush the passer. They were covering. They were just making a lot of plays. So they're a tough team to, to play against. Uh, and then they just wore you down with that running game that we'll talk about. Uh, defense 2019 were 14th overall. So they were kind of in the middle of the pack for for uh, in terms of uh, giving up yards. But uh, and they were uh, in the middle of the pack for passing and rushing, like 15th and 13th. So they're kind of middle of the pack there where they really excelled, though, because they're playmaking and they're uh, they excelled in the red zone defense. They were fifth in points allowed at only 303 points allowed, 18.9 per game. So the Vikings defense stood up where it really mattered in the red zone. So that's where they were dominant there. Um, So that's kind of the overall view of this team. But it's going to change now. Um, now, you know a lot about the Vikings here, Mike. Uh, what do you think about these offseason moves and how are they actually going to affect the team? And can you talk a little bit about some of the departures and additions they've made and also some of the coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're going to see definitely a big change. Um, I mean, defensively, uh, they lost pretty much their entire secondary. Uh, three corners left the building. Uh, they kind of, you know, 
attack that in the draft, and they got some notable names that are going to, uh, you know, help. But it doesn't help with the names that they have actually lost. But some of their bigger names, Xavier Rhodes, has been a staple there for the for them. Uh, one of their shutdown in-your-face corners, really notably known to jam people up right at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but we were talking a little bit before on air. Uh, he kind of was seeing some of his down days, I guess, going forward. Still has a lot left in the tank that will be able to help another team, uh, but not this one. They also lost uh, Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes, the other two corners that uh, have been there and been staples for them for a little while. But uh, that's not it. The D tackle, uh, defensive end, definitely took a hit. And their nose tackle is gone. Uh, you know, Everson Griffin's gone. Uh, Linville Joseph gone. Uh, the big offensive coordinator that they've been going with, Kevin Stefinski, taking the job over there in Cleveland. And then Gary Kubiak now seeing a new role change for them uh, and kind of taking on a little bit of a multi-positional coaching job now. But he's going to have his fingers entwined in that as the offensive coordinator going forward. Uh, big notable change, Stephon Diggs uh, getting traded over to Buffalo for a first, and I believe it was a third or the first and a fourth. Uh, but, I mean, those rumblings were happening for a while. He was a little unhappy uh, with the circumstances of how the Vikings were going with their offense, being more of a run-heavy team. He just felt like he wasn't getting enough shares in the offense uh, and started trying to be a squeaky wheel in the middle of the season. Um, so, in essence, they did a quick flip-flop for Justin Jefferson, uh, who will probably spend some time talking. And then uh, a, f- a few changes on the offensive line. Josh Klein uh, is, has a new home now as well. So, uh, big overhaul, a few more we're going to talk about, 14 draft picks in this year's draft, so an insane amount of draft picks that they've had. They were littered in the middle of the rounds, but uh, a lot that we're going to get to. So I, you hit the nail on the head early on, and you're talking about last year's numbers and last year's stats, and they're frankly just not going to do us uh, a, you know, a whole lot of relevancy when we're talking about how we expect this 2020 future to be for GFS. So uh, we're going to have to put our you know, our tinfoil and our thinking caps on and kind of get down to the bottom of this. And you know, I'll kick it right over to you. Uh, let's jump right into a quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Uh, you touched on it. He was super efficient last season. Uh, one of the things that you know is really, I guess, underrated about him, he, you know, when he gets – He's he's almost like a like a shell shock pitcher. Uh, you know when he's going when it's bad it's bad. You know we see some bad throws, some errant throws, but that's okay when you have a quarterback that's willing to take those challenges, throw that deep ball. Um, it's going to happen. They're going to make mistakes, but he really limited his last season. Uh, only six interceptions, twenty six touchdowns. But I'm I'm a, I'm gonna let you talk about Kirky Kirk. Yeah. Uh, so Kirk uh, Cousins guy I know quite a bit about. Uh, he's actually uh, went to high school about 30 minutes from where I'm at over here in Holland, Michigan, huh. on the Lake Shore. Uh, obviously a Michigan State guy. So I followed him for years. Really high character, very, obviously very intelligent, very accurate quarterback. Uh, yeah. So he's a great quarterback and he gets paid well for it. Right. So this guy, I mean, he's got to be like in the Hall of Fame just being able to negotiate a contract. I mean, this guy, <laughs> he gets everything guaranteed. And what's he make? Like over 30 million guaranteed per year. So, uh, and, and that kind of led to some of these cap issues uh, that the Vikings are having and uh, paying him a lot of money and uh, had had to get rid of some of these guys. So Kirk Cousins uh, last year, yeah, he had a great season. He wasn't a high volume. It wasn't a high volume passing attack, um, but he was super efficient when he passed uh, and, and he came up big when he needed to. Uh he didn't play as well in the playoffs, though, you know, so coming down the stretch there, he, he didn't play as well. Statistics, uh, fantasy stats were not good. Uh, they they kind of got exposed being a little more one dimensional and just relying on the run game there. Uh, to his defense, he did lose uh, his his go to guy, uh, Adam Thielen, for you know, I think it was like six games last year as well. Uh, but, yeah, let's go over Kirk Cousins stats real quick. So he was uh, uh, 30 over a little over thirty six hundred passing yards. Uh, 8.1 yards per attempt, which was okay, uh, where he really excelled 26 passing touchdowns and only six interceptions. Uh, He did have one rushing touchdown as well. So he was just overall efficient. Uh, He was kind of middle of the road. Uh, He played 15 games. Uh, He wasn't uh, dominant by any means, but he he had some big games. Uh, Kirk Cousins' big games was uh, for DraftKings was right around 37 points, 35 points, 32, 31, 30. So he had quite a few games over 30. And same thing on FanDuel, quite a bit in the high 20s to uh, mid 30s. Uh, he did have some dud games that he mixed in there, though, uh, because of the the philosophy with just trying to run and the defense being so dominant. So being that with all these changes in so much of a youth movement on defense, we're not expecting the defense to be as dominant, which is going to be a better game environment for Kirk Cousins. That means we should have an upgrade for Kirk Cousins. If this offensive line can actually protect him because he doesn't necessarily do well under pressure, if they can protect him 
and he gets some of these new receivers going, uh, he he is going to actually have more passing volume probably because of the way the game flow is going to be. So I expect maybe a few more shootouts and a little bit more passing volume. And so I think that if he just maintains a similar efficiency with more volume, he's going to be an upgrade for the 2020 season for DFS. And he's going to be a good target being that he's not very, very expensive. Absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't agree anymore. I think we spoke a little bit about it before we jumped on and uh, just the, the, you know, the lack of their secondary, knowing that they're going to be going with rookies, they're going to go on with a little bit of experience all over the field. I mean, um, a lot of this offensive line is going to be, you know, second and third year guys, uh, you know, guys that were pretty inexperienced that the team feels like they're ready now. And uh, he's it's going to struggle. It's going to be a struggle all around for the team. So they're definitely going to, I think, have more offensive opportunities in general. Um, they were taking the philosophy of, you know, let's grind the clock out. Let's be the first team to get on the board. Then we're going to make it, you know, a hell for them to get the ball back. And we're going to hold on to it. We're going to grind it out. And when they do get the ball back, we're going to jam their guys up early on the line. We have enough pressure to kind of make them a little bit of uncomfortable. Um, and that that was their philosophy. Run the ball. Good defense. Well, now they have a young defense. They still could run the ball. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, it's going to it's going to be harder when for them to grind the clock out if they're chasing points. If, you know, we've seen Kirk Cousins and this is what I love about him. He's fully capable of throwing the deep ball. He's fully capable of leading a comeback. We've seen him do that year in and year out. He's been very, very good at leading comebacks, but um, he's not afraid to take chances. And, you know, it bites him sometimes, but it's also very good for fantasy a lot of the times, whether you're one of his receivers or if you're playing him yourself. So you touched on a lot of those big games, and those were probably games that needed to come in opportunities where they had to throw a little bit more. So I'm with you. I'm giving him a little bit of an upgrade going into the season. I kind of had him as a, as a top 10 fantasy quarterback regardless, uh, but but he's definitely getting a nice little boost. And I think we can feel a little bit more confident that, you know, doesn't really necessarily hurt Dalvin cook because he's going to be the guy on receiving a lot of these screen passes. We've seen that last season as well, uh, but it definitely benefits Kirk as well. Yeah, definitely. It's there. They want to run the ball. I mean, it's, it's Mike Zimmer and Gary Kubiak is offense court. They want to run the ball, uh, but they're going to be forced to get out of their game plans and not be able to run the ball as much. That's what I see coming here, which is probably good for fantasy. And the nice thing about uh, as we transition into running backs, the nice thing about Delvin Cook, who's coming off a career year and an excellent uh, fantasy season, is that he does he is a true uh, three down back. So if they are in that game, that hurry up, faster paced offense or need to pass more, he's still involved, which is great. And they're still going to want to run the ball as much as possible. So Delvin Cook is a, is a, is going to be another guy that's going to be just as good, if not better, than last year. And he's coming off a huge fantasy year. So what, what's your opinion on uh, Delvin Cook? I mean, I, I absolutely love him. He was one of the guys I had circled um, going into last season where if you were just looking at guys on the outside of that top five that you could see, you know, potentially being one of those number one overall fantasy backs for DFS for season long, whatever it may be, uh, it could have been him. And he did not disappoint. I mean, the only thing with Dalvin Cook was has been health. Um, you know, a Florida guy, when he first came on his rookie season, he blew up. He was he was coming out of the gates firing and then the injury happened. And, you know, the following year, uh, you know, more just nagging, riddling injuries. Only I think he played 10 games following that. So we almost got to see and it wasn't even a first full season. It was still only, I believe, 14 games. So but we got to see what a, fir- a full season could look like. And he's unbelievable. I, he's a true three down back. He's not going to be a Christian McCaffrey where he's necessarily getting 80 catches or 80 receptions. But I think you're looking at 40 to 50 pretty much surely because he's not necessarily coming off the field. Um, one thing I do think is, and you know, knowing that he only played 14 games in that last one and that the injuries have been a problem from him in the past is that we might see uh, Madison get pretty involved. I mean, 100, 100 rushes last season is, is nothing shy for a rookie. So I think that's something that we might end up seeing a little bit more going forward not saying he's going to you know necessarily uh jump in there and take a volume workload but 120 to 140 might be on the horizon they want this guy for playoffs bottom line and you know we saw him going into playoffs he, he was a little hobbled uh he wasn't 100 percent. and when this is where the direction that they want to go to if they want to lead with the run like they have been uh they need this guy 100 percent healthy so you know, I still have him up there as one of my top backs going into the season, uh, especially knowing that he's going to be that three down guy. That's what we're looking for on DK guys that are going to be catching passes as well. So I uh, just want to temper the expectations where if they do have a big lead, we might see be a little bit more Madison time in fourth quarter if they don't need to use Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Madison. I'll talk about him in a sec. Uh, I just want to highlight a couple of Delvin Cook's stats here. Yeah, only 14 games, but 250 rushing yards. So the volume was still there. Uh, we're expecting maybe not quite as much run volume this year, so we have to account for that. And Alexander Madison is a great backup, a change of pace, 
to give him a breather and to help maintain his his health and longevity, which is a huge thing with Delvin Cook. Uh, so yeah, but he still had Delvin Cook uh, 1,135 yards, 4.5 uh, yards per rush, which was excellent. 13 touchdowns, so he was huge in the red zone. And he got 63 targets in the passing game, so 53 receptions. So I think even if he loses a few carries in the running game, he's going to probably pick up more in the receiving game. So I could see him, you know, 60, 65 receptions uh, in this game. 500 uh, this upcoming year, 519 receiving yards at 9.8 uh, average is pretty solid. Uh, so really, like in PPR formats, you've really seen him excel because he he did well in rushing touchdowns and catching the ball. He didn't actually get any receiving touchdowns, but his top draft king games, uh, he was on fire early in the year, but he had games of like 31 points, 30, 28, couple games of 28, 27. He didn't have that many duds. He had a couple duds, but for the most part, he was really consistent. If you caught him on those high upside games where he would have a great rushing game and still catch a lot of passes, PPR, yeah, I mean, the guy the guy was one of the top backs to get. Um, but t- towards the later half of the year, you know, he got injured and he started becoming a little more hit or miss there. He wasn't as uh, as easy just to target, you know, to try to take down some uh, DFS tournaments or cash games. So um, in Madison, they got him as a late round draft pick. He's explosive, also a big physical guy, and he actually averaged 4.6 yards per carry. So he had 100 carries, 462 yards, uh, and only one touchdown. So not as much use in the red zone. Uh, Delvin Cook was in there. Uh, Madison caught 10 balls for 82 yards, so not a huge contribution, but a little bit there. Uh, So, yeah, I think that we will see Madison's snap share increase, uh, his snap percentage increase uh, uh, to spell Delvin Cook. But Delvin Cook's still going to be an elite level running back, and we're expecting him to probably catch a few more passes this year with the game script as well. So, I, so I think it's uh, it's a good situation still. Absolutely, and and that's the thing. And for as far as Madison, I think we could just probably segue right into there. I mean, we we pretty much hit on everything as far as Dalvin Cook. He's he's one of the only handful of three true three down back workhorses in the league that's in a run first offense. So. It's, he's going to be he's going to be pricey in the right matchups. We're not going to mind spending up on him. That's not going to be the issue. But as far as Madison goes, um, you know he's going to be a guy. If anything does happen to Cook, if anything, you know maybe he's getting a little dinged up and you need to you need to give him a little bit of a break, rest him a game or two. Uh, you know, knock on wood, we never want to you know say anything about seriously long term injuries. But as far as a short term injury. I'm looking for a guy like Madison. He's the perfect guy that you want to slot in there when he's dirt cheap. He's getting that starting role, let's say, for that game or two. Perfect guy that you want to target. This kid's he's good. He's gonna be very good to come. Um, there's a reason why they drafted him, and I, I I know that when it comes to you know major guys going down, um, he's one of the first guys I have circled as that could step up and give elite level production. Yeah, I mean he's definitely one of the premier backups in terms of the you know premier handcuffs. Uh, of course. In the DFS world, we don't really worry about handcuffs as much, but what we do worry about is injury replacements that uh, where their salary hasn't been adjusted yet. So I could see Alexander Madison, if Cook goes down, he's going to be uh, definitely a chalk-type play, uh, a guy that has a high upside, explosive, and a great offense uh, that uh, could step into that three-down role. Um, they do throw in uh, Mike Boone and, you know, Amir Abdullah a little bit there as well uh, if, if Cook goes down. Uh, the only worry with Madison— Boone's a free agent, I think, after this year too as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, the only thing with uh, Madison that you kind of can worry about is if, it, if you are trying to play him as a value play and he's super high-owned, uh, if it's a type of game where they're not running the ball as much and, you know, they're giving up a lot on defense, right, and— uh, I don't know if he's as good in the receiving game as for the game script. So that could be a situation where, again, it's bad chalk where you may have to pivot off him. So, yeah, depending on the matchup, it, he's definitely going to be a guy to oh, target yeah. if, if Cook goes down there. So and, uh, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. And, and, yeah, and I'm saying it for a reason where unless it's like, a you know, they're going against the Bucks, it's an elite level run defense. I'm willing to eat the chalk on a guy like him. That's 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 yeah. everybody has to you know worry that you know when a guy is that chalky, do I benefit more from fading him or playing him? Obviously, the type of tournament you're in and the you know the kind of contest that you're in is going to be a major factor. But he's the type of guy that I'm fully willing to eat the chalk on because uh, he I I just love him as a talent. I think he's excellent and just the fact that they're not going to go away from their philosophy. He, they got him for a reason. They gave him a good amount of touches, 100 touches for a backup running back to a, a complete workhorse during your rookie season shows that you're willing you're committed you're fully committed in this guy as your backup and they're not going to go away from the philosophy i don't think if dalvin cook goes down for a game and two this team's just going to all of a sudden start airing the ball out 
unless they have to. Um, so that's kind of what, that yeah. was my necessary point. I'm willing to eat the chalk when the time's right for them. Yeah, I agree with you overall there. I think uh, interesting, uh, whenever Alexander Madison would get the ball, you would think it was Delvin Cook until you saw the back of the jersey number because the guy was so explosive. He had good vision and power, just like Cook does. So you really couldn't tell the difference between the guys besides the volume. Uh, And it was interesting that when Delvin Cook went down, I think Madison was injured as well. So I don't I don't believe that Madison had a full game to just to himself. uh, Correct. He got he, he, he started the game. So yeah. he didn't he didn't he didn't finish it though. That's exactly. So we haven't he seen that scenario yet, yeah. where he actually got to play through the whole game. Uh, so yeah, we haven't seen uh, Alexander Madison uh, full out uh, value chalk week yet, but it, it could happen because Delvin Cook does have that reputation. Uh, but yeah, that's I, I don't think he's going to have standalone value just yeah. because of uh, limited upside. Uh, but yeah, he, he will pop off though uh, on some games even with Cook in there. But it's just too hard to predict. So it's not something we would target. But yeah, definitely a player that was super impressive. And they, they spent like a really late round draft pick on him. Uh, I don't know if it was a fifth or a seventh. It was something somewhere around there. So they got a steal on him. Fifth. I think it was fifth, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it was fifth really late. Yeah, so they um, got a steal. All right. Um, I mean, we could touch on Boone um, quickly, I guess, if we want. Abdullah, he's been flashes in the pan. Um, nothing spectacular. Uh, you know, not some guy that, again, he's he's at best case scenario going to be replacement level type guy. But we're going to be looking towards Madison Boone's in the final year of a contract this season. So, you know, maybe, uh, you know, they, they do him a favor midway through, trade him to a team in need of a running back, let him. Uh, kind of earn himself some more money. We've seen several teams do that sometimes with the guys that they, you know, they like that haven't been, I guess, Stefan Diggs of the locker rooms for them. So, uh, and we'll just, I guess, slide right over to receiver. I mean, we have a lot to talk about with receiver. Um, we'll start right off. Adam Thielen only played 10 games last season with dealing with hamstring injuries. And then he had that weird Achilles injury as well that happened during practice. Uh, he got like rolled up on cleat, gave him like a really, really bad scrape. It was like a cut, actually. And the immediate fear was that he tore his Achilles tendon, uh, just ended up being a little bit of a, a nagging injury that caused some problems. It was the hamstring that really, really bothered him. And we've seen that in football time and time again, especially if it's a running back or a receiver, somebody that's explosive off the line. Um, it's tough. A hamstring can nag all season long. And if you don't give it the appropriate amount of time, and that's kind of what happened in Thielen's case. He, he came back a little early, he re-aggravated it. Uh, it does more harm than good. And it, it seemed like he never really got right back on that page that he was used to. He never really played at that 100% level. Uh, but, you know, big uh, elephant in the room with Diggs gone. This is kind of his guy. This is Ben Cousins' guy. They've been friends in the locker room. They work out on the sideline. They work out together uh, off the field as well. So um, a lot of people are expecting him to jump up and just kind of grab this number one role that he's, you know, been splitting, I guess, with Diggs over the past couple of years and, and run with it. Um, you know, I'll bring up his numbers real quick. 48 targets in 10 games last season, 30 receptions, 418 yards, six touchdowns, had a catch percentage of about 62 and a half, uh, averaged 13.9 yards per reception. So those are the numbers. I'm going to kick it over to you. Are you expecting, I mean, Justin Jefferson's pretty much going to slot right into that same role Diggs had, but what kind of year are you anticipating for Thielen, especially coupled with the fact that we just talked about their secondary and their defense in general? Um, you know, is he, what, I guess I should start this. Uh, where do you think he's priced, uh, you know, first game of the year? I think he's probably going to be uh, high 6000 to $7,000 range right around there. And I think he could pay off that value. He he popped off last year on DraftKings in the short amount of time he did play 10 games. He had a 35 point game. He went off 22 and 20, you know, had a couple games around 20 and then a couple in the high teens. He did have some duds, though. So that's what made people kind of nervous about him. But again, the philosophy of the of the team last year, run the ball first. And even when Thielen was healthy or he was trying to play, sometimes he wasn't healthy. So my point is, if if Thielen comes back and he looks good in preseason and camp and he's healthy in this offense, we the, the continual theme is that this offense is going to have to pass more. They're going to be forced to is that Thielen's a guy for sure. You fire up in uh, DFS fantasy world in general. He, he's definitely a guy that's due for big upswing in, in, in production, uh, a lot more targets. And he's another one of those guys. I call them the technicians. They're just excellent route runners. They have good hands. 
He's got great chemistry. Uh, obviously, Kirk Cousins loves him, and he can hit you deep. He can, you know, get you over the middle. He's just got his just route tree is amazing. He can line up in the slot. He can line up outside. So the, you know, mostly a slot slot type guy, uh, and he's just really great, especially uh, in those PPR formats because he's not necessarily always a big red zone guy. Yeah, so definitely upgrade on Thielen as well. Really high on him with Diggs gone as well. Um, and it's going to take a little while. Uh, I think the rookie's going to be great, uh, but I think it'll it'll take him a little while uh, for Justin Jefferson to get acclimated. So that means Thielen is going to be a target monster. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's one thing I was going to say is early on in the season, I'm going to be lighting up Thielen. I'm going to be loading up on Thielen and DFS just because there's no, there's not OTAs. The, the chemistry is going to take a little bit for get, listen, Justin Jefferson is game ready. He's NFL ready. He's shown that last year. He, you know, he played primarily out of the slot in LSU, but this kid could play all over the field without a doubt. Um, they're going to get this guy involved. He's quickly, um, but I think he's going to come on to the season really pop off a little bit later on. I think, you know, maybe weeks like five through five or six and on, we're going to see him, you know, you know, we've seen several star players, star uh, rookie receivers really get acclimated, get the first, you know, few weeks in there and then blow up towards the end of the season. I'm not talking about necessarily like Terry McLaurin, who almost did a little bit of the opposite, but uh, we've seen other guys like OBJ. His was a little bit more injury related. Once he got to 100 percent, he was just lighting it up. So I'm I'm fully expecting that for Jefferson. But early on, I'm going to be all over Thielen. Um, this is his guy. This is where the rapport has been built for over the years. It's his go to target. And Thielen's, you know, while he plays in the slot, you touched on his voucher. He's also a big dude. He's like 6'2", 200, 210. Uh, you know, he might have to get a little bit more involved in the red zone. I think that's part of the reason why they were allured to Jefferson. I think that they're, but I'm, I'm expecting Thielen to be used in, in, on the outside as well. This He's going to be used all over the place. This is, this is his guy. So early on, if, if that price tag, like you said, if that's what we're thinking around that six, seven K range, no problem paying up for it in the right matchups. So let me give you, I'm, I'm taking a look at the Viking schedule. Let me give you, uh, uh, in the first quarter of the season, the first four weeks, that's kind of way I look at the NFL's season uh week four the vikings are at, at houston at the texans that is probably the first matchup that i i would say uh if thielen's healthy you're all in on that because they have a weak secondary and the other side of the ball can can produce with deshaun yeah. watson even with deandre hopkins gone so i feel like that has shootout potential so that's a, that's just one that i would target right away with adam thielen because they are playing the Packers the first week at home, which he's had success against the Packers, but that Packers defense is much improved and the teams know each other so well. So I, I'm targeting those non-divisional games in domes that could turn into a shootout and that has a weak secondary that Thielen could absolutely shred and that Cousins may actually be forced to pass to if uh, the Houston, you know, if the Texans get some points on them. So that's just, that's one that com uh, comes to mind just by looking at the schedule. And, and I'm glad you looked at the schedule because now it's almost as a, we have to, uh, and this is the type of Thielen player, uh, player Thielen is he can you know like I, I agree with you with everything as far as Green Bay he's they're going to try to get him involved early he's that one he can break off that one catch for 72 yards of the touchdown so easily and you know we're going to see the price tag if he plays well in those first three weeks rise uh and that's my worry it's I always want a few duds in that first couple weeks that way once yeah. we do get to week four we're uh, we're getting a little bit of a, a normal to depressed salary because we've got to imagine people walking into Houston, especially in shootout potential, are going to see a little bit of inflation on their price tag. Um, and you know you you hit it; it they're going to shoot out. It, it's David Johnson in there as well now. It's like that offense is going to click. So um, yeah. I'm fully anticipating some sort of shootout in that game, and I, I'll be all over Thielen as well. And um, we'll slide. I mean, unless you have anything else you really want to hit on Thielen, um, I think it's pretty much set in stone what type of yeah. type of receiver he's been over the past year, a few years. We'll just um, We'll jump right into Justin Jefferson. Absolutely. Let's talk about uh, Jefferson. So Jefferson had one of the best years of uh, college guy in a long time uh, at LSU last year. Obviously, this LSU offense was just on fire with Joe Burrow and all the weapons they had, dominant offensive line. It was like a video game offense on easy mode. I mean, that was, that was just crazy. Uh, so this guy puts up 111 catches last year, 1,540 yards. Averages about 14 yards a catch, and he gets 18 touchdowns. I mean, and that's in the college season, which is, you know, shorter, you know, 12, 13 games. So it's just ridiculous stats. And if you look at his athleticism, the guy's 6'1", over 200 pounds, 4'4", 40, 37-inch vertical. His relative athletic score, which is called the RAS score, which measures uh, 
those positions against other similar wide receiver classes, he was almost a perfect score. He was uh, 9.69 out of 10, which is elite level explosion, athleticism, agility, quickness, all that stuff combined with size. So if you look at all those things combined, he's set up to do big things. I think that he's the type of guy that it might take him a little while to get going, but probably a guy around midseason in the right matchup that you would want to target, even if he hasn't done well up to that point. Uh, but yeah, this guy's super talented and, uh, I'm of the opinion that uh, he probably should have been drafted earlier, but just the way that the the, the wide receiver class was loaded, uh, yeah, because he fell to what the 22nd pick, and you know it was kind they of a like, controversy. Like this, yeah, they, it, yeah. That. What was it? Uh, Philadelphia right before him uh, yep. took the other wide receiver, and they're like, "What?" Everyone thought uh, Philadelphia was going to take. Uh, we could start with Jefferson. Oakland with Rugs, in my opinion, if you want to start there. Um, I yeah. don't. I think it goes even higher up than that. I I don't think this yeah. guy. He was questionably could have been him and CD should have been the first two off the board, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I like rugs. I didn't have any issue with that. But I think it was Jalen Rager went to Philadelphia, if I remember right. I don't have the notes here on the yeah, draft, but absolutely. I believe that's who it was. So, yeah, yeah. So that's going to be one of those players that are two players that are always going to be compared as Justin Jefferson and, and Rager. Uh, and, and Philadelphia is kind of known for missing on these receivers. So we'll see there. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, so that that's definitely big things ahead for Justin Jefferson, but he's a guy where you might want to exercise caution earlier in the year. Uh, what's your opinion? Are you are you ready to go after this guy right away and target him uh, if he's pretty reasonably priced, or are you thinking a wait and see approach? So well, that's my thinking. Is um, I th- I'm with you in the camp where I think it's going to take him a couple games just to get acclimated, especially uh, you know to build some a little bit of rapport with with Kirk Cousins. Um, you know he's a guy that's very keen on actually trusting his receivers. So I I think that I'm probably going to avoid him for the first few games. I'm also not expecting that he's going to come in. They're all that cheap. I mean he's a big name. There's a lot of hype that's surrounding that name. He's stepping right into a spot where he's going to start, and a lot of people are expecting him to produce immediately. So I think I'm probably going to shy away from him the first few games. I'm expecting you know not bad games by any way shape or form i mean you, you touched on it. this dude's an absolute monster 111 receptions 109 of those coming out of the slot uh you know 18 touchdowns i believe 17 of those touchdowns were out of the slot so and this is a guy that you know they asked him all throughout high school he was an outside receiver uh that's how athletic this dude is is that he can adapt he can play anywhere on the field and yes he was primarily a slot player in that amazing season that he had uh he's gonna line up all over the place mike zimmer's crazy excited about this kid um i believe he was quoted saying that the reason we got this dude and we were like licking our chops when we saw him that he was on the board is because his ability to go up there and get a ball, his ability to adjust in the air. Uh, I think he's going to be a primary focus for them in the red zone. Obviously, Kyle Rudolph is still there and has always been one of their red zone uh, red zone go to targets because. They really haven't had one with Diggs and Thielen. They both are fully capable of getting their own, but they're not those jump up and go get the ball type players. Um, Jefferson is one of those guys. He he's going to come down with it when it, in a jump ball, and I'm I'm fully expecting to have a lot of use in that kind of red zone package. So. Um, Long story short, yes, crazy excited about him. I think he's going to live up to the hype. He was, I, you just heard me say it, one of my top two receivers coming into the draft. Um, and I think he's going to make those teams punish. He even said it himself. He's he's going to he's going to hold that grudge. He's got that chip on his shoulder, and his goal is to be better than every single receiver that was taken before him and make those other teams pay. So, uh, very excited about him. I think he's going to thrive on this team. I think it's 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 a perfect fit for him. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just the one thing that I, you know, I kind of think about is he's used to playing in the warm. <laughs> That's one he's going to have to get used to Minnesota. That's one thing. He's going to well, have some cold hands. That's true. Yep. Very good point. Um, uh, and yeah, if he goes to Green Bay, you might be a little nervous about him, right? Or, or Chicago. <laughs> the, the whole division is absolutely <laughs> chilling. Um, yeah. And I completely forgot that they do play in a dome. So maybe not at home, he's not going to have to worry about it. But uh, it's definitely going to be a little bit colder than the bayou that he's used to. Yeah, uh, and one other thing I'll, I will mention with these wide receivers, we got a couple other guys we'll go over, but uh, in the strategy show in late April, Andrew Hansen and I uh, went over uh, different types of players to target on DraftKings versus FanDuel, and this is a perfect example. If Justin Jefferson is the type of guy that we think he's going to be a red zone target, kind of a big play threat, he's the type of guy we probably target on FanDuel a little bit more. Uh, unless for some reason he gets a couple games where he has, you know, double digit targets and starts going off. But for the most part, he's the type of guy that's going to not get as much volume as Thielen, but he's going to hit big plays and be a red zone target. 
with his size. Uh, so he's more of a fan duel target is what I'm projecting where Adam Thielen is definitely like a PPR type guy. Again, just going to be getting a ton of volume and just picks teams apart uh, and exploits matchups there. So, and he doesn't catch as many touchdowns. So he's more of a DraftKings play for Thielen. So that's just another example of uh, guys that you might target on FanDuel versus DraftKings, uh, an, an example of that. And we'll, we'll see what Just Jefferson looks like. Uh, now, what do you think about, uh, I didn't realize that they signed Tajay Sharp, uh, kind of a veteran, uh, you know, decent receiver that came out of Tennessee. Uh, what do you think about him as a prospect in this offense? I think it's a good landing spot. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, plenty of those first round receivers kind of flop over there in Tennessee. And, you know, whether it's just the guys that they're picking, maybe it's the scouting department not getting the right guys and they keep thinking they are. Maybe it's just guys that aren't meshing well over there uh, because they haven't had a real passing attack until, you know, pretty much halfway through the season when Tannehill took over. But um, I think it's a great fit. I think he's pretty much the the front runner for that, you know, that third receiver job right now. Uh, More of like an outside type guy. Um, So I I think, you know, he'll, he'll. not really much for DFS other than GPP boomer bust type player. You know, this isn't a pass heavy offense. I mean, you could target him in as a low owned GPP dirt cheap type of guy in those scenarios that we talked about where it might be a shootout. Maybe that, you know, you want to just go completely off the page. Adam Thielen's expected ownerships at like 30% in a GPP. And now all of a sudden you say, all right, maybe I'll just leave Thielen on the board. I'll get, you know, a DeAndre Hopkins. I'll get another expensive guy. I'm hoping Tajay Sharp goes three for 60 in a touchdown at super low ownership next to nothing in that kind of circumstance. <laughs> and that's, you, you heard all the caveats involved there. Uh, that's the type of situation. I well, that's where he was last year. He had, he popped off and had one big game last year. He went off for two touchdowns and had like yeah. 25 fantasy points out of nowhere. So yeah, it's the type of guy on a certain week or a smaller slate, you might target him. Uh, yeah, I think that being that he's a veteran presence presence and uh, you know, pretty physical receiver that Kirk Cousins may trust him in certain situations. So I think he's a guy to keep an eye on but it's certainly not someone we would target right away. Uh, int- uh, they also got rid of uh, <laughs> the the big mistake, I'll call him, uh, Treadwell. Laquan, yeah. Laquan Treadwell, who's a guy that they drafted. I don't remember what pick it was, but it's a pretty early pick. When they it was took a first-round pick. It was a first-round pick. Yeah, it was definitely too. first round. It was pretty early, and he was a guy that kind of dominated in college, but he was kind of you know not very fast, you know, uh, not necessarily a great route runner type receiver. So they finally got rid of him. Uh, one guy that I like is a deep sleeper is that uh, Ola B.C. Johnson. Uh, they got him in the seventh round last year, and he kind of he kind of showed some stuff that uh, Kirk Cousins can trust him. He, show, he showed some athleticism and some big playability and red zone uh, threat last year uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, he ended up with three touchdowns with, uh, you know, he had 45 targets, 31 catches, 294 yards and three touchdowns. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, what do you think about Johnson? I think he's a name to you know watch. I don't uh, as far as immediate impact, he's going to have to work his way up the pecking order a little bit. Um, you know, obviously injuries happen, things can happen. He could get a little bit more involved a little faster. But I think uh, early on, he's just going to be simply depth, um, special teams kind of guy. He might have an, uh, an opportunity on return, but I don't believe he's necessarily a, a known speedster. He's he's just an overall physical presence. He's a good. I believe he played at Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm not I'm not overly. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know a ton about the guy because I, I really don't. Um, but that's kind of my take on it. It's just too many, pe- too deep on the pecking order right now as far as receiver. I believe he's going to probably come into the camp uh, fifth, maybe have a chance at competing for the four job, but still still weighs down the totem pole. Yeah, I think he's a guy that if there's an injury, could definitely uh, you know start in three wide receiver sets. They're probably going to have to run more three wide receiver sets if the if the defense isn't as good and they're they're coming from behind. Yeah, and so he well, is a guy to, to keep an eye on. I say I don't even know if he gets on the field in three wide receiver sets, to be honest, because I think Sharp still is over him. They can either run Thielen or Jefferson out of the slot, and then the other one's probably going to play on the outside. And, you know, they still have other guys that if they wanted to run Thielen and Jefferson out in the slot, I don't know if he'd be the immediate guy to end up, or I mean, on the outside, if he'd even get the slot over, uh, you know, guys like BB. Um, but. Yeah, if, if one of those guys gets injured, In, injured, uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Or they, if Justin Jefferson's having a hard time picking up the offense, or even Tajay Sharp, it's no guarantee yeah. to be the starter. Uh, and keep in mind, uh, I keep bringing it up, shortened off seasons. Ola B.C. Johnson, Ola B.C. Johnson already knows the playbook. He already he already knows the offense, so he can he has an advantage over Tajay Sharp uh, and Justin Jefferson, uh, just in terms of the, the chemistry with Cousins and everything. So, yeah, he's definitely not a guy I'm targeting, but I, it's a guy that I'm going to put on the watch list, basically. 
Oh, I love that. And that's the number one thing you need to be able to do in DFS particularly is, uh, you know, everybody knows the easy replacement guys when, you know, somebody goes down the chalk plays, everybody knows those. But when you have certain guys that you can follow throughout their career, and I, I hang my hat and being one of the guys that's been following Christian Wood on the 57 teams he was on in the NBA, where, you know, right when this guy gets a, even a glimmer of opportunity, he's going to crush it. Um, and if that's, you know, being able to kind of pinpoint those guys in the right situations. It's, it's a huge one up. So I'll, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep him circled, um, especially if he's a guy that you're pretty high on. And I mean, outside of any uh, outside of those main two receivers, I think, you know, maybe a little Tajay Sharp. There's not too many guys that we're going to probably be going for in DFS. And uh, we'll probably just transition really quickly to tight end now. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, you know, the staple that's been there for years and years to come. Their team captain, uh, primarily mostly a red zone threat for them. Um, not really much of a, a possession type. Uh, tight end like we've seen not one of the guys that is really cemented himself or supplanted anybody and like i guess we we always talk about top you know maybe five tight ends that are just light years a bit ahead of everybody else i think he falls outside of that top five um not in an overall actual football perspective because he is i think he is in there but from a dfs and a fantasy perspective i have him outside the top five kind of range more around that you know 10 to 11 uh but he played all 16 games he was an iron man last season had 48 targets 39 receptions for only 367 yards so not a ton of yards but he had six touchdowns so big red zone threat for him big body um, you know, someone that basically has been their only red zone guy for the past few seasons. And one thing I wanted to talk about is his catch rate because career high. The guy did not. He was a machine last season. Eighty one point three percent catch percentage. And he's been getting better and better. It feels like every single year with that kind of stat. So what are your thoughts on Kyle Rudolph? Does uh, I mean, we talked about how they might air the ball out a little bit more, but they do have a couple new additions as far as, uh, you know, guys in that offense. But. Um, what's your anticipation for him this season for DFS? Yeah, I mean, he, he's the same. I mean, he's the type of guy you're going to get him at like three to four thousand dollar range. He'll hover on, on DK. So if you need a minimum price guy and you're trying to go with, with those other high price guys, he's touchdown dependent. Um, so that's the thing that makes you nervous a little bit. Uh, and he's not getting a ton of volume, only 39 catches. Um, but the fact that he got six touchdowns and, you know, he had games, uh, fantasy games of 19 points, 18, 17 and 15. So if you're talking three to four thousand dollar salary, that's a good value. Um, but it's I think that uh, he's not getting any younger. He had a pretty good season for being a veteran. But I think that Irv Smith, with his athleticism, is going to continue to get more and more involved where uh, they both had about the same amount of volume last year. But Rudolph was more of a target in the red zone. But I expect with more passing in general in between the 20s that I think Irv Smith is actually going to probably get more targets in the passing game uh, for this upcoming season, uh, which is why I'm not really high on Rudolph just because his his floor. He has a decent floor, but he's touchdown dependent and he doesn't have any upside at all. So I'm kind of nervous about Rudolph and Irv Smith's a guy that I would take a look at uh, probably more likely to. Yeah, and I, I'm probably pretty much in the same camp as that. Not a guy that I would go to unless the price is right. He's the last roster spot I'm filling out. I, I'm looking at my my construction. I'm looking, and I don't I don't see any other receivers necessarily because I'm not generally stacking with a guy like Rudolph. Um, so if when it's a one off and the and the price is right and I have no other option, that's probably when I'm really looking at Kevin uh, Kyle Rudolph. Um, not not a guy that I'm going to be gravitating towards, like you said. Uh, the they went out and got Jefferson because they wanted another red zone target. Irv Smith is there. He's not a possession guy he's not getting a ton of receptions he's not a great you know yards after catch guy either so the you know the hopes of him breaking them off all the time aren't necessarily there you're really just hoping that he gets you know three catches for 40 yards and a touchdown looks feels and looks like his ceiling at this point yeah i think irv smith just at this point being a younger guy is a little bit more athletic a little bit quicker than rudolph where rudolph is like the savvy veteran guy who just uses body control and kind of boxes people out you know in the red zone so he's just he's very productive that way but He's just he just can't run like he used to with Rudolph. So, you know, yeah. he's, he's very, uh, you know, kind of a plotter in, in terms of slow footed tight tight end at this point. You know, kind of reminds you a little bit of Jason Witten. So those guys can still produce, but uh, I would rather not target them if I don't have to. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm with you. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on, on, on him. There's really no, uh, no purpose. I think at that point we would just probably do an injustice by talking about him too much. So, um, we'll just, you know, transition, I guess, right into, I mean, we've been talking at length and, and almost nausea at this point about their defense. And we've already touched on a lot of those changes that they've made and what our anticipation is for it. Um, I think we're both on the same page If they're going to be taking a step back. There's probably going to be on the, find themselves on the field a little bit more often than not compared to last season. And it's going to probably affect the running game um, a little bit more. Obviously, if they're if they're playing from behind, they're not going to be able to go to Dalvin Cook as much on the ground. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to pass to him in the air. So, um, you know, the, the negative effect it's going to have on the running game for Dalvin Cook is probably going to be a positive effect for everybody in the passing game, including Dalvin Cook. So, um, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about. I know that we have a lot to get to as far as their draft. But uh, any any other quick hits you want to talk about their defense real fast? No, I mean, their defense, they have probably the best linebacker group in, in the NFL with, uh, you know, Kendricks and uh, Barr. Uh, they, you know, they did they did lose uh, Everett, Everson Griffin. That concerns me with their uh, pass rush. Mm-hmm. Um, so losing them and losing Joseph in the middle. They also lost the safety, uh, uh, Sanjayo. I thought it was a good safety that they lost. So I'm concerned about their pass rush not being as good and their ability to cover in the secondary. And we'll talk about that because they are going to be relying on some of these rookie cornerbacks based on the depth chart. Uh, They don't have as much experience in the secondary now. Uh, Yeah, they still have Harrison Smith. But again, he's a guy that's not getting any younger, but he's still a pro bowl caliber safety. But I'm concerned about the youth there and uh, the defense not being as dominant in the pass rush a little bit too dependent on just the linebacker production. Uh, and I think they're a team that you can attack in DFS. And I think that's going to help out the production of the offensive players because they're going to have to be at a faster game script. They're not going to be able to just run the ball and run the clock out. Uh, so, so overall for real world, uh, they may not be as good. We'll see. Uh, but they're still good enough to be maybe, you know, 10 and six like last year, but for fantasy, they should be better overall. Yeah. Uh, so with the exception of trying to, you know, use their defense as, a, as your defense in fantasy. So I wouldn't probably target their defense in fantasy because I think they're going to give up a lot more points where last year they were ranked in the top five and, you know, giving up points uh, this year. They're going to they're going to drop down there. So but, yeah, let's talk about the draft picks, because uh, if, if we broke down all these draft picks, it would probably take us a good hour or two. Right. I mean, they have like 14 <laughs> picks. Uh, but overall, I think this is a team that really does a great job. Their general manager and their coach staff does a great job of scouting and, and, and drafting players. So that's why they had so much confidence in building through uh, kind of retooling through these young guys. Uh, it, they had to because of the salary cap, too. So uh, so what do you think about their draft? I, I know I was really high on it, but what's your opinion? I mean, I, I think they did a great job. Like if I were to rate it like, you know, at the end of draft night, I think it's definitely up there B plus or, you know, possibly even an A with the way that they kind of filled those positions of need that they had. Um, I mean, time will tell. Uh, I, you know, that's the number one thing with everything is that we have to see how these guys pan out. I mean, everybody comes out of draft day with a certain grade. I mean, we we're just talking about Tajay Sharp. Uh, you know, if we were to grade him, you know, where the Titans took him and his overall rank. Yeah, they did a great job. But has it panned out for him? No, has he panned out as a great player so far? Not really. He's serviceable. He's good. Don't get me wrong. He's not anything great. I don't think he's necessarily lived up to his hype. So we're going to have to see how it works. Um, you know, I, I already said my stance on Justin Jefferson. I do think he will live up to that hype. I do think he's everything that we think he is. He's an athletic freak. Uh, he can play all over the place. He's going to you know, slide right into a position of need for them. Uh, and I think after a few games, he'll get his footing and he'll end up being a household name for everybody. And they're going to have one of the best receiving corps with him and Adam Thielen just playing alongside of each other. I think it's a great comparison and a great fit for each other. So um, I, I absolutely love him. I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything else we could say about Jefferson as far as we pretty much hit him, hit, hit our stance on him. He was one of the guys that we had to talk about already as a firm receiving option. And then uh, as far as, you know, the next one, 31st overall pick, Jeff Gladney, quarterback, cornerback at a TCU, very physical guy, was a guy that they had circled on their draft boards. They were super excited when they saw that they were going to be able to get him. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, it's not necessarily going to be a, a, a great approach. I think they'd want to give him a year. Mike Zimmer is not a guy that loves to play rookie cornerbacks. He's notoriously actually hated it. But he, he's a guy that's going to get some immediate use and he's going to get he's probably going to get targeted early often. Um, but what's your thoughts on Gladney? Um, I know that he's we're not going to touch on every 14, like all 14 picks necessarily, but he's definitely one of the guys that's worth mentioning. I, I'm not really high on uh, Gladney coming in uh, as a rookie. 
uh, I think that uh, he's going to get exposed a little bit in the NFL. Uh, he is a guy that's a little bit undersized. I don't know. He, he is physical for being undersized, but and he does have elite speed. Uh, he, he was a very productive player at TCU, but I think that the level of competition is going to go up so much for him and the level of physicality with the receivers that I don't think he's going to be as effective at press coverage. And when you're going up against guys in your division like Devontae Adams and your Adam Thielens, uh, you know, and now the other the other rookie uh, Jefferson we just talked about. Uh, well, not yeah, not him. But uh, I mean, I mean, Alan, yeah, Alan Robinson's not, a physical freak as well. Yeah, he's yeah, going to have to yeah, get a fair exactly. share of him. Yeah, I was going to say he's going to be going up against Justin Jefferson in, in practice. So uh, so that that could help him there. But uh, yeah, Alan Robinson. And then, of course, uh, my guys over in the Detroit, uh, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. So you're going up against veteran uh, uh, receivers who are very physical and dominant at uh, route running and all those type of things. So I don't feel like these guys are going to be able to come in and be able to be able to cover uh, those type of players uh, right away. And that's why I think that they, they, they will take a little bit of step back. Uh, I mean, they still have a really good defense. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like the, the, these rookies are going to take longer than expected. And these are guys that you're going to want to attack in DFS. Absolutely. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the same shape. I think he's going to develop and be, a, I think he's going to be a very good corner. I'm not going to take that away. I think he's going to struggle mightily at first. He's not a guy that's necessarily ready to be thrown into the fire. Um, he would probably be, I mean, Zimmer would probably rather have him be a working project, but you have to work with what you have. And, you know, with the salary cap restrictions that they did have, it's not like they can go out there and sign that, you know, you know, ready to play corner that they would have liked to. Uh, so they kind of have to use with, with what they have. And he's going to see action, I think, right off the rip. He's probably going to start week one. And that may be a position that we target is whoever he's on right away, especially if you're looking at Devontae Adams at, at, um, and Allen Robinson, two physical guys, two big guys that have three inches, four inches on him and about a, another 200 pounds almost or 220 pounds, 20 to 25 pounds on him as well. Yeah, I mean, um, right away, week one, you got the Packers coming into Minnesota, into the into their dome. And yeah, if you don't think uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to be kind of pissed off, you know, coming in there with Devontae Adams. Then you ain't paying attention. Right. So, uh, yeah. So that's what I'm saying is uh, let's keep uh, make a note there. Devonte Adams week one. <laughs> lock Absolutely. Them in. <laughs> so you're not getting me help. I'm going to keep going to the number one guy I have uh, and I'm going to pepper him. And listen, I'm sure right when they saw it, they didn't get another receiver. Devonte Adams being the guy he is texted his buddy Aaron and said, don't worry about it. We'll handle this. You know, we'll show yeah. them. We'll show them. Uh, and, so I'm with you on that one. And uh, yeah, I know this is the Packers podcast, but I would target a guy like Alan Lazard, who's kind of going to projected probably be a number two receiver because you might have, uh, you know, let's say, let's say Minnesota's top corner would be like Mike Hughes. And, and let's say he shadows Devontae Adams because they trust him more on that. So that leaves Alan Lazard, who started getting some chemistry and momentum going last year. That leaves him one on one with these rookie corners like Gladney. And I think that he can I think he can pick them apart. So, again, that's those are the type of things that I'm looking at that I'll be looking at once we get into the season. Absolutely. And we'll uh, we'll transition right over to another guy who looks like he's going to start right off the rip. And that's their uh, their 58th overall pick in round two, Ezra Cleveland uh, offensive tackle out of Boise State. Um, they had some uh, some needs they needed to address just pretty much all around the team. It was on the offensive end. It was on the defensive end. So um, the offensive line was one thing that they need to fill. And this guy looks like he's he's they're saying he's going to compete right for a starting job. In my opinion, he's, they have no choice. They're going to probably start this kid right off the rip. Um, and he's good. Um, you know, from everything I've seen and read about him, I don't I'm not going to sit here. I try not to put my foot in my mouth on things I don't know about. So I'll probably pass the reins over to you if you know a little bit more. But uh, from the things I've, I've read and, I, and I've seen on him so far, he looks like he's pretty game ready. He looks like he's, you know, he's, he's played in the division that was good enough in, in college where he's got he had some competition. Um, you know, boys, he's not necessarily playing one of the strongest divisions, but um, he's been able to get it done. And he's a veteran. He, you know, he's had some he's had some experience. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this kid. And he's going to be tasked with being one of the lead guys to kind of pave the way for Dalvin Cook. And, uh, you know, what else do you know about him, I guess? So uh, Cleveland is uh, a guy that, uh, yeah, he, he was dominant at uh, Boise State. 
really good pass protection, could get after it in the in the passing in the rushing game as well for run blocking. But yeah, he's a really tall, six six guy, you know, so a big guy, but he's got really good athleticism. So I think he'd be great starting for them at right tackle where they really need help there. Uh they got Riley Reef still at left tackle. Uh so yeah, Cleveland could be huge for them at right tackle, which is a spot they struggle, they've struggled with. Uh, being able to pass protect as a, as we project, uh, Kirk Cousins may have to pass a little bit more. They really need that pass protection on the, and the right tackle there. So I think that's going to help, and he'll still be able to contribute in this uh, awesome, uh, you know, zone rushing attack as well, and the pat zone uh, blocking schemes that their Kubiak will have. So I think that uh, this guy, they drafted him specifically for the scheme based on what Zimmer and Kubiak want to do, and they tr- they're going to trust him to protect Cousins. So I think it was a steal in the, at the towards the end of the second round. I think he's a great draft pick. Yeah, and uh, immediate impact. I mean, you only if you're taking a, a position in need like that in the second round. And let's be real, offensive line was absolutely stacked, just like receiver was this season. So when you look at guys, you know Jefferson falling to 22, we're, we're scoffing. You know this guy, um, if he was take if he went into the draft next year or the year prior or previous to this year, he he might have been a first round pick. Um, yeah, he's got the size. You talked about his athleticism. I mean, he he ran a sub 540 as an offensive tackle, which is just fantastic you can't you can't argue yeah. with that I mean you're yeah. talking about him immediately being an impact at, uh, at tackle I mean he seems like a guy that's gonna be multi-position eligible uh, in, in years to come where if they did want to line him up at guard and they want to pull the guard and have him running uh, and blocking the perfect the perfect guy that you want to be in front on uh, like a screen pass and things of that nature so um, I'm excited to see some more about him and we'll let that transition right over to another cornerback that they've taken uh, round three 89th overall Cameron uh, Dantzler out of Mississippi State. Uh, we were talking a little bit about this guy before we got on air. He's not necessarily almost the opposite type of build as the guy that they took in the first round. He's a little bit more lanky, slower, uh, but a guy that they might have to rely upon pretty soon with how much depth that they lost. I don't know if he'll be an immediate starter. Maybe he'll be able to shed some clarity on that. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that's like, you know, 6'2", 6'3". He had great games against uh, Auburn and Alabama, you know, against great competition in the SEC. So the guy was a baller at cornerback there. I think at the NFL level, you wonder whether he projects in terms of not having elite level top end speed. Uh, and even though he's super tall and long, you know, over 6'2", I think uh, he's not he has a thin frame as well. So the work you worry about the physicality uh, and, and you also worry about the speed. Uh, but, you know, he's still a pretty good athlete. But uh, again, he had some he had some weaknesses that may be exploited. But he did play the bonus. He played a good level competition. And he played a good good in the SEC against elite level competition. So I think a guy that is a guy that could kind of take over that role like Xavier Rhodes used to be a bigger, taller, more physical wide receiver. But he's going to have to develop still. Absolutely. Round four, they took uh, number 117. Uh, another guy that looks like he could be slated to, uh, you know, at least compete for a starting job right away. Uh, DJ Wonum, DN out of South Carolina. And if, as we know, uh, the Vikings like their fourth round defensive ends. They, I think that's where they took uh, uh, Griffith, if I believe, uh, at one point. So, um, you know, they've had success there in the past and they're not afraid to, you know, make these guys immediate impact players. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit of uh, something about this kid out of South Carolina? I've heard good things about him. Um, I generally get to these guys a little bit later than most people that, you know, I know you're pretty much uh, you're a big NFL guy, but you seem like you have a good pulse on some of this stuff that's going on in college as well. So why don't you shed some light on DJ? Yeah, I mean, guy, guy at South Carolina, he definitely uh, had a lot of production there. Uh, I think the question is whether he, it's going to it's going to translate to the NFL. He's not uh, necessarily an elite athlete. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, overall it played pretty good there, but it wasn't really graded as a, as a excellent pick there in the fourth round. Uh, but you know, he's one of those guys that he's, you know, produced on the field. So it may not matter if he has elite athleticism, but yeah, I didn't think it was, uh, it was a guy that was going to come in and, and be dominant, uh, it's kind of big shoes to fill with, you know, Everson Griffin leaving there. So uh, they also got uh, Kenny uh, Willicks from Michigan State, who I thought was a pretty good player at Michigan State at the end. He was a solid uh, guy there, and they got him in the seventh round. Uh, and that was a good pick for the seventh round, I thought, because I, I thought that those guys were pretty similar graded. Uh, the uh, Wonham in, uh, in uh, Willicks there out of Michigan State and, Mich- and, uh, and then Wonham out of South Carolina. So. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see if they can develop them. Uh, that, that defense, uh, definitely they've done a good job developing these young guys. So, 
Uh, the next pick is probably one of my favorite picks that they had in the draft. Uh, round four, 130 overall. James Lidge, D-tackle out of Baylor. Um, this kid was just an absolute stud for Baylor, um, putting up records there. He was an All-American, a uh, guy that I felt, you know, fell a little bit too late in the draft. I, I, you know, I had him projected to go a little bit higher. I'm not sitting there saying I'm Mel Kuyper or anything, but I didn't think he'd, he'd be on the draft board this long for him. So, uh, you know, a guy that Zimmer was kind of licking his chops once he saw this was another position in need. They lost a few of their D tackles, a few D linemen overall. So um, I'm expecting him to, you know, be a guy that I don't know if I'll necessarily be an immediate impact. Maybe you shed some light on that, but um, definitely a big part of their future going forward. Yeah, they need help in there with the big guys as they rotate them in and out. They did sign after they lost uh, Linval Joseph. They signed uh, defensive tackle Michael Pierce, who's like a dominant run defender. So uh, so this uh, rookie here, uh, uh, James Lynch, uh, is a guy that can develop behind uh, Michael Pierce and can learn a lot from him uh, to, to uh, kind of develop and be a rotational player in the D tackle. So, yeah, that, that was important because it all starts with uh, being able to uh, stop the run obviously with this defense and being able to really occupy blockers. So those linebackers can kind of shoot those gaps, you know, with this type of scheme. Uh, so, so I think that's a good, that's a good, that's a good scheme fit for them. And it's a guy that will develop uh, along with uh, the new uh free agent that they got in, inside there. Um, and, that, and, and that's one thing that he, they said that, you know, if he, if he needed to work on anything, it's, it's his, you know, it's his run defense. I mean, this guy was oh, perfectly capable of getting asked for quarterbacks. That's actually a strong suit. Um, yeah. I, you know, I believe he he led Baylor in all time for uh, all time career leader in sacks, 22. So um, definitely, definitely something that, you know, he can definitely benefit from. Um, yeah, he could but, be a third down type guy. They put him in there. They absolutely. take Pierce out and put him in the rush package. So where he can contribute right away. And then while he develops as a, as uh, being able to uh, fit fit the run fits within the scheme as well. Uh, so that's good. And then this uh, fourth round, uh, so they made a ton of trades and moved around the board. They did a good job of that. But uh, that linebacker, Troy Dye, out of Oregon, uh, had a great career at Oregon. And so I think that was a steal. That was one of the better late-round picks that they have. What did you think about uh, Troy Dye? I, I mean, they, they have they have a great linebacking core that they can allow this guy to already develop. I think that's a perfect fit for him. I don't know if he'd be necessarily, uh, you know, NFL ready right off the rip, um, but a, a perfect situation for him, perfect group of guys to learn from. And, you know, these guys are getting a little bit older, so when the time is right, he might be ready. And that's kind of how Zimmer likes to groom his defense is give these guys, uh, you know, one to two years, usually minimum. Um, almost his whole team, he hates playing rookies, but give them one to two years minimum and then let them develop behind these guys that have been on their depth chart for years and years. Go now, now they know their scheme. They know their packages. They're ready to go. He doesn't like to throw guys into the fire unless he absolutely has to. Yeah, I think he provides good depth there at the linebacker group if one of the guys go down, and I think he'll make an immediate contribution on special teams. So that's a nice thing yep. about those type of guys. It's solid tacklers and still still pretty athletic. So, yeah, so he should be able to help, uh, you know, get some pressure off the edge once he develops there. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that was a great pick. Uh, I think other than that, I mean, we probably don't have to pick uh, break down every single, nah. you know, sixth and seventh round pick. They had 14 picks. Uh, but it is one thing that uh, with the Vikings to keep an eye on, uh, I'll be keeping an eye on training camp reports and seeing how they these rookies develop to see which guys emerge to keep that in mind. Uh, and also which guys we need to attack, you know, like we were talking about yeah. in DFS. So, so that's it's probably the more important part. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. But again, Absolutely. The, the theme is with the NFL, it's year to year league. And things change quite a bit, and the Vikings are going to be a perfect example of that. They're still an excellent team and a great organization, but we can see that their rosters change, so we can't look at them exactly like we did last year. So that's something we'll have to keep in mind here. Very true, my good friend. Very true. I think we uh, we got a plethora of information that we can use, especially taking into week one. Uh, most notably, I think the most important thing that we've talked about on this whole show that I'm taking away from this is just how we're going to attack this team uh, on the other side of the coin, not necessarily how we're going to use their players, how we plan on attacking them. And that may be the most important aspect we can take from this is just how many notable changes they've had on their defense and how that's going to impact us in the way that we view them going forward. Um, 
Justin Jefferson, I think we're, he's going to be just fine in this league. Dalvin Cook is Dalvin Cook. Kirk Cousins should be taking a step forward if this defense is bad. I mean, obviously, in, interceptions are going to increase as well. But a lot of useful information we got from here, man. So, um, as always, we're going to do what we, what we always do. And we're going to ask you guys if you can go on there on uh, you know YouTube, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, get the notification every time we do give a, give you guys one of our new video shows. I mean, uh, we're we're investing in this fancy gear that we got, man. So we, we would we really appreciate it if you guys can give us a little like and a subscribe. Uh, and then on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, everywhere that you can hear our podcast, thumbs up, a rate and review, greatly appreciated. We like to know what we're doing right. We like to know what we can get better at. It uh, means the world of difference for us. And then if you can give us a follow, uh, we'd really appreciate it. Shane, you want to let them know where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, so on Twitter, um, D-E-T Sports Shane. So Detroit, D-E-T Sports Shane. Uh, definitely hit me up on Twitter. And remember to check out our website, uh, DFSCoachTalk.com. Um, you can sign up on there and uh, awesome website. You can sign up, become a member right now. And uh, membership is frozen right now until uh, all the major sports, uh, major sports start back up. Um, and what about your uh, Twitter? I want to talk about the KBO a little bit, but uh, go ahead uh, if you want to give them your Twitter as well. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me at Mike Patria, M-I-K-E-A-P-O-T-R-I-A. Um probably going to be the Twitter for the rest of eternity that you get. They're probably sick of hearing it at this point. Um, but yeah, absolutely. To touch on some KBO, because I know a group of guys that we have, you coach Andrew Santino, absolutely crushing it for all of our members. Uh, five, I think we're five and one right now in KBO. Am I, am I right? Am I wrong on that one? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, last night was a fun night. You know, we came off a tough slate where a lot of the games were rained out and we were kind of all over the weather there but one game got late scratched for the weather. So last night we really bounced back in a big way on DraftKings. Uh, Andrew and coach really did a lot of research, did a great job uh, of building the lineup and in DraftKings, we were in the top 7% of lineup. So, so we crushed it in cash. We crushed it in the uh, GPPs and it was exciting watching, uh, watching the action, all the home runs and uh, one of our pitchers, you know, it was dominating. I think he had double digit strikeouts. So Dan Straley. Yeah, Australia there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it was uh, it was definitely exciting. And we're we're watching a lot of the games and, and mixing it up in the discord, talking about the games and the players. And uh, it's excited. We're just excited because it's real sports. So it's just one thing that we're transitioning to do, because obviously the other major sports are not ready yet. Um, so, uh, yeah. So it's another exciting thing is, as part of being a member is be able to get those lineups right now. Uh, and it, your membership is still frozen. Absolutely. And that's the biggest portion is that uh, you can join. You can join the Discord. You can get involved in these conversations. We're doing fun contests every single day for DFS, uh, baseball and basketball and even a little bit of football. Um, We know all three of these sports are going to come back to normalcy soon enough, hopefully. And until then, we'll keep just grinding through KBO, making some little coin to build our bankrolls for when these seasons do pick up. We got some free money to play with. So I would say come take advantage of it, guys. It's it's a great group of guys. I'm I love working with. I love doing these shows with Shane. So um, we'll be back tomorrow, though. So we're going to have some more information for you guys. We're going to continue. We're, I think we're going to round out uh, the division tomorrow. Shane, do you know who's on? Because I know I'm off. Um, I'm pretty yeah. awful with the schedule. I know I got to get my reminders set and ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, uh, Andrew Hansen and myself will be doing the Packers. So another NFC North division division foe in the black and blue division. And the Packers are kind of a controversial seat, uh, team this year with what they did in the draft. And uh, I'm looking forward to breaking down the Packers. So I think they're going to be an uh, awesome team to look at to consider some things. So, yeah, so I will definitely see everyone tomorrow. Come back and uh, check out the Packers breakdown where uh, Andrew and myself will have great information there. And I want to wish everyone again a happy Mother's Day. Enjoy time, spend time with your mother and your family, Uh, especially in these type of times. It's really important to value family and appreciate the time that we have with them. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. That's actually what I'm going to get off the air right now and go do. Uh, Go stop by me, Madre. Say hi. Say hello. Uh, let her know that I'm thinking about her and bring her a nice card and some flowers and stuff. So uh, to ever from everybody over here at DFS Coach Talk, uh, I'm with Shane and saying happy Mother's Day. Stay safe, guys. Uh, and we look forward to continue crushing some KBO and getting some regular sports back soon enough. Take care. Have fun, guys. We'll be back tomorrow.